0: To the show, it is Daniel Ortman coming to you live from the Dream Imagine Sports Studios. It is 8 a.m. on the East Coast, 6 a.m. out in the mountains, 5 a.m. out there out west, and for all of you who are battling uh, the fires and the power outages, our thoughts and prayers and sympathies out to you. Hope you are uh, surviving, doing well. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. It is Tuesday, October 29th. Welcome in to the show. Thanks for tuning in on this Tuesday morning. So yesterday, a couple couple big things happened, and uh, we want to get to those right off the top of uh, the show. First... The announcement, uh, it was not as big of an announcement as LeBron leaving Cleveland to go to Miami. It was uh, certainly not uh, receiving near that level of hype either. But there was quite a bit of excitement yesterday as Sergino Dest chooses to play for the U.S. national team over the Netherlands. Um, it was, a. it was, you know, we talked about this on the show before he made the announcement and one of the things that I, that I looked at with this whole aspect of will he play for the U S will he play for the Dutch? He was born in the Netherlands. He was raised in the Netherlands he didn't even start speaking English till a few years ago when he started playing uh, with the U.S. national team. All of the signs... He, he plays for Ajax. He's getting minutes in the Champions League with Ajax. All of the signs were pointing to the Netherlands. When you look at things on paper, the one factor uh, that was, was in the U.S.'s favor... And even then, to me, it's kind of a bit of a spin, but is is the fact that he was going to have an easier pathway to minutes with the u s national team. The competition was going to be much steeper with the netherlands uh and you know if if that was a big factor, we don't know the conversations he had. With the Dutch Federation, etc. He had been playing in the U.S. setup for a few years. I don't know if 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 that part of the emotion played into it, but he made it clear this was his decision, and uh, and he chose to play for the U.S. So, uh, you know, welcome to the family as I said, uh, you know, if I was in his shoes and I felt like I had a legitimate shot, I would have chosen the Dutch for a variety of reasons, but I totally understand, you know, his decision as well. And, uh, you know, the, the point I made from the beginning is either way, we're happy to have him. And, uh, you know, and, and and wish nothing but the best for him. Either decision he chose to make and he chose to play for the U.S. And so we welcome him with open arms. Uh, that's it's fantastic, um, you know, for for us to be able as a country to have a player playing in the Champions League and uh, and getting significant minutes. We have, you know, a few younger players that are playing in uh, Europe at the moment that are, you know, getting some different opportunities and we need more of that. We've talked about it on the show many times. The domestic league in major league soccer is not preparing our players adequately for international play. And, uh, and so, you know, having an international player, a player that's grown up and living abroad, he is a dual national and, and makes this decision to play for the U S um, you know, we we are definitely uh, ha- happy to have him, and you know, quite honestly, with the state of the program, and um, you know, and, and the issues we've been having on the men's side for quite some time, we're lucky to have him, and uh, we're very fortunate, and so uh, I'm excited, excited to see him um, make his his full national team debut, uh, and. That will then lock him in with um, with the U.S. for his national team career uh, coming up with these competitive matches um, in just a couple weeks. Yesterday, also, um, the worst kept secret in uh, the uh, U.S. soccer um Realm of the last few days uh, was finally officially announced yesterday, as Vlatko Andonovski is uh, was named the next manager of the U.S. Women's National Team. He um, he was named as the uh, NWSL um, coach of the season and. Um, the 43-year-old becomes the ninth person to hold the U.S. women's coaching job and the first to do so as a product of a domestic women's professional league. Um, Andonovsky most recently managed Reign FC in the NWSL and won two titles with FC Kansas City. He is one of three people to hold a head coaching position since the league's inception in 2013. So um, everything I've read about him from players who have played for him um, is positive and um, he's gotten glowing reviews all around. So, excited to see you know where the the program goes and and quite frankly grows under him and if you are wondering well how are how is the program going to grow um they just won back-to-back world cups and they've won olympics like how are they going to grow there there's a lot of room for improvement we have players that are getting older and There's going to be a transition there, so we've got to have some growth in terms of younger generation. We also have a lot of areas to grow when it comes to tactics and, and playing as the sum of our parts as a collective more, th- more than just a, a collection of individual players, which I felt like too often uh, this U.S. women's national team resorted to individual play rather than uh, team play. And so I, I hope, and I'm looking forward to seeing some of that play out and, uh, and, 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 I'm hoping that, um, you know, that we see some progress and growth in that area as well. Um, lastly, for, uh, something that, that I want to get into is the American outlaw sent, uh, U.S. Soccer, a request for a meeting. They were upset with a performance against Canada. Um, I, I haven't seen the letters where they were upset about all the other performances that we've been so bad at, but uh, whatever. Uh, they sent a request, and they said, we're not happy with where things are. We, we want to talk. And um, Greg Burhalter sent a... Um, Sent a message to, um, sent a message to the American Outlaws, and said this. Maybe it was anger after conceding the late goal, or frustration regarding our performance. Either way, no matter what I was feeling after the final whistle in Toronto, I should have walked over to thank our traveling supporters. I screwed up and I apologize. You've been with this team through thick and thin and you deserve nothing less than our appreciation. I hope that you know you have it for every game. As a player who got to wear the U.S. jersey for the senior team starting back in 1994, I can vividly recall support from Sam's Army who demonstrated to the world the passion and support that American fans brought to their national team. It meant so much to our team and to me personally. That connection has been passed on from generation to generation and what the American outlaws have built and grown has helped capture the spirit of what the sport can be in this country. There's no doubt in my mind that the support you bring to our team each and every match will continue to push us forward to new heights. And that is why we need you now more than ever. When we began this journey earlier this year, we established the mission of changing the way the world views American soccer we asked this group of players, many of whom are promising talent still developing and growing in their careers, to embrace this challenge and understanding that there would be highs and lows, that they would be placed in demanding situations, knowing that the results might not always go our way. Of course we want to win, especially for our fans. We also know that as we work towards achieving our goals, progress won't always be reflected on the scoreboard at the end of 90 minutes. Nonetheless, we remain focused, committed, and determined to the process of building our team, playing bravely, and performing on the biggest stages. One thing we will not accept from our team is anything but the determination, effort, and absolute will to win. That is the essence of our country and our team. The next stop on this journey is Orlando, where we will face Canada again and where only a win will suffice. Believe me, we will not forget that night at BMO Field. It will serve as fuel for the fire as we seek both victory and some measure of redemption in the eyes of our supporters. The most important source of inspiration comes from you, our most loyal fans. This is a team, and against Canada on November 15th, you may be our most important player. Like you've done so many times before, if you have our back at Exploria Stadium, we promise you that each and every player who steps on the field will put forth an effort that will make you proud to say, I believe, and mark another step in the process as we move to 2022. Sincerely, Greg. Um, I'm going to get into some of those thoughts and, uh, and expound on that a little bit later in the show. I found the letter to be a bit bizarre and uh, bizarre for a variety of reasons and we're going to get into this into that in just a little bit uh but first our sponsor this half hour is ductic brand you can learn more about ductic brand at d-u-k-t-i-g dot com and use promo code dw show to get 10 percent off of your next order they got some really cool apparel in the store um, some really good resources if you are a coach or a player goalkeeper check out some of their notebooks it would definitely be a tool and a resource uh, that you would, would want in your arsenal including some of those which have waterproof paper again that is Ducticbrand.com and use promo code DWSHOW to get 10% off of your next order at Ducticbrand.com we'll be right back after this Tuesday, October the 9th, We are joined by Alex Fidrashevsky Alex, hopefully I got your name right and didn't butcher it. Um, welcome to the show. How are you this morning? I'm doing very well. A little chilly here in Pittsburgh, but otherwise we're uh, we're, we're doing well. Where uh, where are we going this morning? So uh, first off, um, how did you get connected to the game? Like, where did your love affair uh, begin with with the game of soccer? Started when I was a kid. Um, my my
1: grandfather was actually uh, a member of the the Polish Army team after World War II. Obviously, didn't there wasn't really much of a national team in the late forties. Um, but he was part of the army team that traveled around Europe and played, and then came to the United States and was dragging my dad to Randall's Island uh, to watch all the the showcase cups in the 50s and 60s. And then uh, it kind of rolled into my dad going with him to Cosmos games in the 70s. And I started playing as a kid and just fell in love with it uh, back then and, and had an opportunity to get involved with it. Uh, on a media standpoint, when I was running WGPA in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, I, uh, we started doing, uh, FC Sonic games and in 2014, uh, we did those games on the radio and then uh, moved over to TV with, with the Bucksmont Torch uh, on, on a local television outlet there. And then we started the, the soccer show on TV at the same time. And here I am today. (laughs)
0: So uh obviously your your grandfather uh, was was kind of the connection point for for your family brought the game it was. W- with him yeah yeah Yes. so uh he did he come over after world war 2 or after yeah yeah in the in the 50s yeah so uh growing up with you know obviously immigrant family moving over to the US and then implanting this love of the game, uh, in, in your dad and then into you, uh, passed on to you. Uh, when you look at, uh, the American soccer scene at large, um, what, what has been your observations over the years? And we'll get into some specifics of, you know, current, like you U.S. national team youth national team stuff but mm-hmm. at large as you've grown up with a family that's been in and around the game and loving the game and you know ever since your grandfather uh, made his way over and, and kind of began his family here in America and and um, you know taking your dad to Cosmos games and then obviously that that love of the game passing on to you. What has been you and your family's kind of conversations about American soccer? Has it always been kind of this, what could be, has it been disappointment? Like what has I been those conversations? I don't
1: know if it's necessarily disappointment. I think maybe, the, maybe more recently, I think there's been a little more disappointment uh, thought of disappointment or discussion of you know almost like what taylor twelman rambled about two years ago after the trinidad game i think that was probably where it started um the the real kind of i don't know if you want to say it's a red flag but in the in the discussions that you know i have with my with with my dad or that we've had on on tv or i've had with friends or Guys that sit around us at, uh, at the Red Bull games or, or here at, at, at Pittsburgh Riverhounds games when I go it, it seemed like that was a bit of a turning point that prior to that, everybody was like, well we're, we're figuring it out. We have, it's untapped potential and we're figuring it out and we're figuring it out And I think the general I think the general opinion of the soccer world over the last two years is what's going on. And, and and where did where did America go off the tracks with with its with its national team, uh, at least as far as that's concerned. And then I think it's ripped open a band-aid for a lot of people as to everything else we do here, from youth development and church leagues all the way on up through the MLS Academies to MLS to guys going abroad or not being sold or whatever it is that's gone on over the last couple of years. I think everybody is now at least the way I look at it and the way I, the people I'm involved with and connected to everybody's micromanaging everything that happens now um, because I think of Clinton Dempsey hitting a crossbar. If that ball goes in the back of that, I don't know if anybody has any of these conversations, but it didn't. And it might've actually been the best thing that happened because if I think it's forcing everybody to take a look at the the setup and say, well, like this, this isn't okay. As far as us as a soccer nation of 300 and, you know, 300 and change million people.
0: So uh, let's go back to, to October the 10th, 2017, Trinidad and Tobago um, the U S national team, the men's national team fall in their face, fail to qualify for the 2018 world cup in that moment, final whistle blows. What was going through your mind in that moment?
1: I think as a, as a, as an American soccer fan, it was probably, probably the worst, the worst evening to that point of, of my U S soccer life. Um, I think that it trumped not performing well in the 98 world cup. Um, I think that going into that tournament, I was only 11 years old, but I, 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 I can recall, uh, beforehand my, my dad and some of the other fathers and kind of youth coaches around our, our, our our group there that where i went to elementary school saying this you know this team's really not this team's really not that good i mean you know we had to we had to scrape by canada to get here and you know we're we're going home and i think that, that at least you know there's at least this uh, this idea then that well they we at least made it now it was more of an expectation that okay well, so we have a we have a professional league that's over 20 teams we have like you know academies. We have players that we've brought in from Europe. We have guys that are, you know, bouncing over there. That are, you know, we should we should be significantly better than Trinidad's reserve team. And and let's face it, that's what it was. They they didn't really roll out the the red carpet for the United States here and bring in th- their best. They that game was really played by their B team, and that was probably even being kind that it was their B team, and. I think that you saw a US team that had that had no fight, that had no bite. It was pretty lackadaisical. It looked like they didn't they didn't want to be there. I mean, for what it's worth, they wanted to be carried across a little puddle so they could go train the day before the game. So, um I think there was that was really the red flag night where you know, the, that the day before those photos came out and I remember seeing that and sitting there saying to myself, are you, you, you gotta be kidding me. You know, you right, uh, you know, all of a sudden you got a couple guys making a million dollars in, in major league soccer on these, these big contracts coming towards the end of their career. And they're too, they're too good to train. So I think you, I think you saw the problems start there. And then by the time, uh, by the time this last loss happened, I, I, I didn't even look at it in shock or in horror. I looked at it before the game and said, well, with the roster that was called in, we got what we deserved. Canada was better than us. They brought in better players than us. And they're, dare I say, a step ahead of where we're at right now, which is shocking considering where Canada was like 10 years ago.
0: No doubt. Um the The aftermath of Trinidad and Tobago uh, was kind of this wake-up moment uh, for the country. to me, it was it was that night that really allowed a lot of people um, to ask a lot of questions and and questions that may have been asked before, but but either with less confidence, um, you know when when your national team, is qualifying for the world cup. You can complain and say, look, we're not doing enough. We're not getting better. But when the federation keeps coming back and say, well, we, you know, we keep qualifying for the world cup. We're, 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 close. It's easy to kind of keep a perception going. And then when you have a failure like that, it's hard, you can't hide. There's nowhere to go to hide. Everyone knows you didn't make it. Now people start asking questions. The difference that I found in that whole process is if this were any other country in the world, our top level uh in, you know board members president vice president etc would have been resigning you know that like we didn't get the job done we're stepping down uh it's time for someone else to come in and 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 manage this thing um and to me, when, when we didn't see that, in the immediate aftermath, Arena's defiantly saying, I'm not going anywhere, and it wasn't until weeks later, until he finally uh, stepped down, and, and Sunil Gulati, uh, the, the president at the time, uh, was still debating on whether he was going to run or not, and he didn't decide not to run for re-election until he realized um, that his, his victory was, was not a sure thing, and so, then, at that point, he decided not to run. But he never actually stepped down. Um, and and that, to because me, was was a stark contrast to what we would see around the world. Yeah,
1: I think I think because the way we operate here is that the folks that run the national kind of the national team and the federation, you know, most other countries around the world have it as a source of almost. Uh, you know uh, almost the source of I would say personal pride whereas I think we've seen here that there's a lot more of a business business dealing mindset to it with the way the U.S. Soccer Federation's been run um, here and I think the other thing too is as you said you know they could they could we could get away with always saying, well, we're, we're almost there. We made, we made the round of 16, we made the round of 16, we made the round of 16, you know, or the, 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 the run where, you know, they, they made it to, I believe it was the quarterfinals, you know, and, and there was, there's always that next step. Well, like you had said, you know, when you don't qualify out of CONCACAF, which is, in my opinion, the easiest way to make it to the world cup, um let's i think that that's one of those let's cut through the junk moments you know and, and unless there's a direct qualification spot that's coming out of oceania which basically hands new zealand a bid to the world cup there's no easier way to get there than through Concacaf because the trip to costa rica and azteca aside if you can grab a draw down in honduras and then just run the table at home, even with the now the way the world, cause the way the world cup set up with the playoff bids and things, as long as you nick a draw at home against Mexico, or we even showed last time out, all they needed was a draw in Trinidad. That would have been enough when you don't get that in my, in my opinion. And we, we went right at him on TV afterwards after that, that Trinidad game and said, when you don't get that draw, you can't hide anymore. You can't hide anymore and I think for the last two years now it's been a bit of a guns blazing moment. I think when Burhalter was named head coach it raised the ire of fans even more. And then I think what we've seen in the last 12 months of Greg Burhalter has been more of the same, maybe you want to say a step backwards, you know, and and I've been I know I've been pretty critical of the of the roster selection um as far as who's being brought in from where and looking at this myself and just uh, my what are we doing moment is saying you know did we learn from what happened the first go around with paying guys big bucks to stay Domestic when the first two guys that got those fat contracts domestically were Zuzi and Beasler, and didn't go. And that was in the last cycle and they didn't, they didn't improve. They didn't get better. Who's going to take their spot in Kansas city. They spent their whole careers there. Great little cushy deal. Good for the pocketbook. Great for the pocketbook. These guys making an 800, $900,000 a year but did it did it benefit the national team to still be calling those guys in then you know it, some would say well who else did we have uh, now i think there's a very there was a very good window that has been blown in the last 12 months that sarah can actually tried to start after missing the world cup where it was the idea of almost to you know bleed the kids let's throw them in the deep end you know, and, and, and we'll give them a, we'll give them a life preserver to hold on to. Cause it's just friendlies, but let's try to see what, you know, let's see what these 18, 19, 20, 21 year old kids have. Then Burholters named head coach flip, flip the switch. And here we are, you know, you have, you have your Aaron Long's getting called in who Aaron Long great season last year. Did they move Aaron Long somewhere? No, Aaron Long got, he got the Beesler zoozy deal. And quite honestly, you know, if you're if you're a Red Bull fan or not, U.S. fan or not, Aaron Long's 2019 has been a complete 180 from his 2018. So I think, you know, I, without getting too long winded, um, I think we've we've just seen that you can't they can't hide it anymore and that, you know, you, you can't run away from From the track record now over the last, you know, uh, two years or so of of failed results, and it it shows to the senior level and all the way down. Now with the youth, you know, the youth setup. I know you wanted to talk a little bit about. uh, I think there's a lot of potential coming through, but it's you know, how are we going to utilize these guys in the next five years? Because the what what my co-host and I have talked about has always been 22, 26, and thirty. Those that's gonna be our window with this this group with 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 your wayas and pools and the rest of these guys. So how do we get ready for that? Is 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 I think one of the biggest questions for at least me. <laughs>
0: Looking at this uh, current national team and Greg Burhalter, he um, uh, uh, released a, a letter, or a letter was released that he wrote to the American Outlaws after the American Outlaws. Uh, you know, released a public letter complaining to U.S. soccer that, uh, hey, we're not any good. Uh, can we meet and talk about how we're not any good? And he responded with a letter. And in the letter, he he talked about, you know, the need for the outlaws to be there in support and how much he's appreciated that support over the years as a former player and now the manager of, of the U.S. men's national team. Um, in his response uh he gave this typical american soccer like um you know i know you can't see progress i know you're not seeing results but give us time i've got a plan even though you can't see any of it and it doesn't actually work we think it's going to work eventually one day maybe um keep having our back What, what was your take on his response i thought it was a bit bizarre
1: First, I think anywhere on earth, if a manager lost the game to a team like Canada, they probably would be out. Whether it was voluntarily or here's the door. I think that the, the, beating Cuba aside, to take a loss like that is, especially in the manner they took it, it's, it's I, I think, for for a lot of fans... Um, I mean, let's face it, the, the national team was trending over a presidential debate. I mean, I know there's and again, I, I, and I spoke about this on one of our shows. I know there's 50 of them now, but for a brief period of time after that U.S. Canada game, I was sitting there on Twitter watching it where U.S. MNT was treading, trending higher than anything else. So clearly people, people's eyes were peeled to that game and the debacle that it was, and I, I read the letter, and I, I had heard the beginning of your show where, um, where where you, you 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 read the letter out there. It's it was your like you had said it was the standard American press response. Where, um, I mean, gosh, there's almost a, a I mean, there's like a running joke of it now that you see with some of these football coaches and things like that, where it's you know, well, oh, what did you think of the the defensive line of the insert team? They're hungry thanks coach and the quarterback he's smart you know there's no substance in this all he said was i should have gone and waved my hand at you so you guys could boo me i that solves what? and and i don't know if a, a meeting with greg Burhalter is necessarily the answer because for what it's worth greg berhalter probably wasn't the right guy for the job was he? I, that's not for me. You know, I'm not going to say he was a bad player. Greg Burhalter was actually and this is, I think, where I'm surprised as to what's gone on with him for a guy who played at such a high level over his career. You know, this isn't a guy who spent 15 years playing for the Dallas Burn and Colorado Rapids and maybe spent one year somewhere else. You know, when he was a player, this is a guy who played for the U.S. over 40 times. This is a guy who spent his entire career, except for the last, you know, two years of it in L.A., at at really big time teams, you know, at 1860, at Palace. uh, I know that was a short run, but he was at at Anarchy Cutbus for a, a run, and he was in the Netherlands before that. You'd think for a guy who went and did it. As an American at that next level who went over to Europe and said, you know, saw exactly what you have to do if you want to get to where we're supposed to be getting to, to then turn around and and bring in the players that are being brought in to. Basically, give off the aura that it's okay if you want to, you know, if you're making a boatload of money in MLS to play here. I, that I think is a big sticking point for me, and I, I know we didn't really delve into it. We could talk about that for two hours. Um, you know what what's transpiring just on the league level and how that's a negative. I I could sit with you for a day and go over it, and we could. Not even scrape the surface, but was a guy who was let go by Hammerby for being too defensive when they were in the second division in Sweden, and who had a half decent run and with a half stacked deck in Columbus. Was that enough for the national team job? If you ask me, you know they interviewed one guy over one year,
0: and he was the only one. Yeah, so I, def- you know, I, I, I definitely see uh, where you're going with that. Could, he,
1: he could write this letter and say, okay, I'm, you know, we lost. I'm sorry. It's not like it's not like you lost on a fluke goal. And it was I was just I was I got caught up in the moment. I got caught up in the moment. Uh, it was a handball. I was too busy screaming at the referee after the game or screaming for a CONCACAF official because we got stuck. No, so, hey, I. I mean, watch. I sat back and watched the game. I don't think I've ever actively laughed at at the national team before but there's a first time for everything i sat there watching that canada game and laughed my head off the whole day it sounds it sounds ridiculous that somebody who's kind of got some roots in the game like myself would sit there and laugh at the u.s national team getting run off the field but they didn't they didn't even look like they belonged in the same stadium as the canadians that night. so nice letter but where's the substance behind it? i know that it, for a while after the game the burhalter out thing was trending on twitter as well and it was you know where was the response from anyone at the federation? where was burhalter to sit there and go yep this isn't good. Nope. Everybody just stood firm. They, everybody patted each other on the back. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. And you know, is the, is, and I said on our, on our show, on the corner kick, what's, what's going to be the next step. If he beats Canada the second time, are we going to come back around and say, Oh, everything's fine now. We won. We won one, nothing. We won two, one. We, we won the home game. See, we, we won the home game. That's what matters we shouldn't be losing to Canada in the first place not with a not with you know if everybody wants to say oh, MLS this thing not with a 20 year head start yeah.
0: well when we when we look at this Canada um this Canadian men's national team I, I was impressed I was impressed as well I I'm actually um I'm a, you know if I if I'm Greg Burhalter and at uh, U.S. Soccer, I'm I'm nervous about this rematch because um, Canada knows that they can beat you. They know, and they know that it wasn't a fluke. And that's the you you brought that up, um, you know, just a second ago about the the actual game. This was not a this was not a situation where, you know, it could have gone either way. Like we hit the crossbar and this went out, and we had this, and we like there was no like woulda coulda shoulda moment, no moment where you could point back to and go, man, it was it was even. But if 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 our guy j- you know just hits it one inch to the left, it's going to go in off the post rather than out off the post. That that was not the performance we saw. What we saw was. A well-earned, well-deserved Canadian victory that, quite frankly, could have been an even bigger victory because their performance uh, was even more impressive to me than the 2 0 scoreline. Uh, th- that was a, a an American team on the field that had no solutions, they had no answers, and you know when. when when I've coached uh, teams in the past and, and, and even with my own two kids, I talk to them about a process of, of confidence that before – uh, you can get confident. You have to be comfortable, and 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 once you get comfortable, then you can get confident. And once you get confident, then you can get that really, really like nasty, healthy uh, cockiness that allows the best to be the best in the world. They've got that extra, you know, ten percent or whatever of, of just self confidence that just oozes out of them that that basically allows them to be audacious in. in In whatever sport they're playing and uh, when I look at this U.S. men's national team I look at a team that is lost that has no answers they have no idea what to do and when you don't have any idea what to do means you're not comfortable which means there's no way we're going to go out and play confident that's on the manager that's your job is to Teach the players how you want them to play, and just because you're saying something, if they're not getting it, then you're not doing it right. It's not the players' fault that they don't understand you; it's your fault that you have not been able to get on the same page with your players. Um, I mean, that is leadership one hundred and one. And so to to deflect and 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 immediately after the game, kind of point the finger at the player saying they didn't give enough that they didn't want it bad enough i think is an absolute cop-out and you know when i look ahead to this rematch uh, i don't know that that these american players uh top to bottom are going to be prepared much less uh with the mentality required to to really compete if canada comes in and this is gonna be the you know, the this classic case of, you know, you we want it home, do they have the mental fortitude to do it on the road? If Canada comes in and, and puts out the same performance that they did up in Toronto, we are in trouble. And that's not it's not because of emotion, it's because they're just they're playing At least that night, they were playing better soccer. You could tell they had an idea of how they wanted to play. And if they come out with that same mentality and they couple that with, look, we don't care that we are on the road. We want to make another statement like, let's go get this. And, and come out and really play confidently, I think we're going to have some issues. I think too many people are kind of saying, well, Canada, we're going to play Canada here in the U.S. Like, we're going to get our revenge. I, I, I'm not confident in that. What's your take on this? Well, this isn't... You're not, take, you're not taking a trip to San Pedro Sula here. Just,
1: what's, there for the Canadian, what's there for the Canadians to fear? Are you going to go up against... Assuming they're going to bring in a similar team, you're going to go up against 18 or 19 Major League Soccer players in Orlando? If I was a Canadian team, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be sitting there if I'm Herdman saying, "Okay, well, we won at home. We're we're going away. We need to sit back and we need to just try to absorb. Let's see if we could get zero 0 Coming to the play in Orlando, I would. If I'm them, I I would just try to bang the doors down again. There's nothing. You're not going up. Fat, you know, the, the two miles to Azteca. You're not going to uh, again Honduras, which is going to be. They're going to make you play the game at you know as Canada has seen themselves in World Cup qualifying. They're not going to make you play the game at two in the afternoon, give the entire country the day off, give away free tickets, and it's going to be 150 degrees with 200 percent humidity. You're going to play on a, a comfortable fall evening in Orlando. What if I'm the Canadians? Just from that perspective alone, you know you got them at home. What what do you have to fear to not go after them in? you know, in, in Florida the next, you know, in a couple of weeks, so it's like two weeks away. And I, when I watch that game for me, what, it, you know, I think you're right about Berhalter where you're trying to, it's the system, the system, the system, the system. We, we need to build, we need to build play out of that. I well, don't have the players to do it. So when you don't have the players to do it, you either need to change what you're doing or get out of the way. <laughs> and, if they're going to continue to try to do that without having anyone in the back capable of making the next pass, it's going to be a problem. And I think we saw that in in the Gold Cup final against Mexico where they looked disjointed. Uh, we definitely saw it in the friendly against Mexico. The only guy who can hit balls forward out of the back is Tim Ream. If they take him out of the out of the equation early on, if you if you can get pressure on him and he has to distribute it across the back line to somebody else, you could you can you can bang three, four, five in on the United States. And I think that you're right. I think the I think the coaching strategy is a big issue. I think there's a little bit of both where, you know, it's column A and Column B. I don't think burhalter's wrong to say that there's not a lot of bite in this team. You're still bringing in Michael Bradley, who walked to take a corner kick in stoppage time with the World Cup on the line. You're you you know, you're still bringing in guys who are making triple their value overseas. And great that the league wants to pay these guys to stay home. But if you're the national team coach, you have to say, you signed that five-year deal with the Seattle Sounders at a million dollars a year. Have fun. It won't be in my setup. We don't have a coach that's doing that right now. And I think, so you have, he's, I don't think he's wrong, but he's not innocent. I think that every that, that you have multiple guilty parties here. Um, and from a player's perspective, I don't blame an Aaron long for signing the deal with Red Bull for whatever it was, $750, $800,000 and sticking around, you know, he was making $60,000, $70,000. They multiplied his number by 10. So good. I mean, good for him. If I'm a player, I, you know, I guess you strongly consider your bank account cause they're only going to play for a few years. Um, but it's not providing the level of competition and training that they need you have, you bring in you know 18 guys who there's never a threat to their spot ever. There's nobody on their team that because of how much they're paid or where they're at they're they're safe. Jordan Morris, Jordan Morris, stay home. Joe Morris stayed home for a puppy dog. And he's a decent player, but the potential that he didn't tap into or is now tapping almost, if you want to say, two ladies, twenty five, you can get one cycle out of the guy. You got one you got you got through Qatar, he'll be twenty nine. You're really gonna keep him around for twenty six and bring him in at thirty three years old when you have Luca De La Torre and Novakovic and all these other young players, you know, I think that goes for a bunch of bunch of these guys. Yassi Zardes, I mean, he'll be thirty, he'll be thirty one, thirty two when the twenty two World Cup rolls around. I think that there's 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 multiple parties that are guilty here. Um, you know, I think I think MLS is part of the problem, a big part of the problem, overpaying guys, not moving guys on, bringing in tons and tons and i've talked about this on our show tons and tons of foreign players and you know i think that's it's great that you want they want to try to market themselves to be one of the best leagues in the world but anybody who watches multiple foreign leagues will tell you it's probably if you look at the uefa coefficient mls would be somewhere in the probably probably the 20s um as far as it's you know how their teams would stack up on a continental level. Um, you know, if you're fans of the English game that I've spoken to, I've spoken to former players in England that I see at some of these some of these games in uh, in Pittsburgh. I've spoken to guys who've been involved in the game for 50 years over there who say it's like League One. So I think we have to look at that and say, well, there's there's a part of the problem. We're bringing in a League One team. You're bringing in the equivalent of a you know I don't even uh, you know a Bristol Rovers kind of player, we're going to get Bristol Rovers kind of results at the next level. Um, And I think what's even scarier for me beyond that, when just to come back to 10 at a real quick, the Canadian MLS players outperformed ours. In that game, their MLS players outplayed our MLS players and our guys, again, our guys are the big money guys. They're the ones making 500, 700, a million, whatever dollars and th- their major league soccer players they they actually in my opinion i i really do think outplayed ours i think i think i think samuel piet was probably the best midfielder on the field that night for either team that that's an that's probably a, you know truly a midfielder because alfonso davies you know much more of a, a dynamic attacking player and these these other guys they have have going forward i look at who they have going forward I think there I think Canada is much better off in the attacking positions just in their their pool than we are and, and not just at the younger ages where they've got three guys who I think are going to be kind of their rock for the future you have you know David at, at, again Davies is at Byron and and seeing time at Byron and David is seeing time again uh, Liam Miller he's he's a Kilmarnock in in Scotland and then, you know, into the prime, the kind of the prime ages, you have still Junior Hoylet around and Lucas Cavallini's down in Mexico. Kyle Lahren, he's still lurking around their national team setup, And, you know, and, and Balu, he ended up back at Montreal this year. They didn't really integrate him too much. But I mean, this is a guy who's contracted to Barcelona right now. The U.S. has this type of youth talent, but Canada was willing to roll the dice and bring him in and it paid it, it paid dividends against us, where I think for the last few years we've been calling for well, give these kids a shot, give the u twenty three crop a shot the u twenty crop anybody under that age let's give them a shot Canada gave a lot of those guys a shot against us, and they they earned it, so I think that it's it, I think it's a multifaceted problem to to kind of just wrap that part up for me i think you have to blame burr for being this is what we're doing and this is what we're doing whether it works or not i don't care this is what we're doing you have u.s soccer standing by idly or in support of who knows what's going on there i'm not i'm not ear to the rail to their office but clearly they're they're not doing anything to change so they're 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 idle idol in this. And then you, you look at the interests of major league soccer and where they're at. I think it kind of all ties together to create the problem that we're in right now. And we didn't even mention the idea of any youth development, whether it's through an MLS academy or anywhere else.
0: So, uh, last, uh, few questions here, kind of rapid fire, uh, yeah, if- go for it. So, looking, you know, let's go out to the macro and then we're going to kind of hit a couple, uh, you know, specific topics, uh, questions. And I just want to get a quick take from you on each of these. Looking at the macro, U.S. men's national team, should we be going younger, focusing on kind of an Olympic-aged next cycle, Christian Pulisic, Weston McKinney and and below? 100%, 100%. OK,
1: now no, the, the, we don't even need to finish the question, in my opinion, 100 percent. I, I, if you're over 24 and you're in Major League Soccer and I'm the national team coach, I don't need you. Next next question.
0: <laughs> All right. So uh, next question, looking at our youth national team, U-17 World Cup got off to a struggle, did not look good. Um what do you see coming up in that next generation at that kind of U-17-ish level? Are there players that were not called in? Or do you see this as kind of um, you know an eye-opening uh, assessment that we don't have the talent at the youth levels that we thought we did?
1: Ah, it's hard to tell with kids. I think Gio Reyna is going to turn out just fine. I think Buxio is going to turn out just fine. I think Joe Scally is going to be a really good player. Um, it's it's really tough, I think, to judge guys at that level. I think there's some there's usually some eye to the future that okay there's 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 a, there's a group here for any country and say okay yeah these some of these kids are definitely going to pan out. I count maybe three or four that I think are, are you know kind of for sure things. Out of our group, and and again, you're, you know, you're, you're speculating on a high school kid right now. Um, I was actually I'm part of a a, a Polish soccer kind of group amongst media guys there that cover the 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 league in in Poland and the national team, and we were actually going on about this because right before the World Cup started, this this U17s talking about you know busts over over the years, and there were there were some some names that we we brought up um, in the in the Polish circle. That were um, guys who everybody was like, oh, you know, this is going to be great. He, you know, he was born in Germany. There's one player, Sebastian Ruffza, specifically, who, who I brought up. He went and spent nine years in the Bayern youth system. He was German. He was German born, Polish parents who were living there. Played for the Polish U19s, played for the Polish U20s, didn't pan out as a pro. He's playing, he's, he's in Zwei Bundesliga right now with Wiesbaden, but. You know, so they, they just got promoted to the this league, they're in the bottom of it. Um, and f- as far as that level was who were like, okay, so you didn't, you know, this didn't work. Um, I think it's tough to really judge how a kid's going to do with the 17s versus where he's at when he's 20. You might have kids who are 17 that are topped off, you know, they, they matured early and they're they're in that you know it's almost like you see some sometimes you get a high school basketball player or a high school football player I mean, the man among boys staying where you know the guy's the guy's a senior in high school and you got the full beard thing basically already and then you know he's a junior in college and he's the 10th guy on the bench um so i think it's hard to it's hard to tell i don't want to say that we're in trouble but um you know i i got to watch i got to watch some of that game i didn't watch it in its entirety but um yeah you know, I think there's some red flags there. Um they got an early goal but they couldn't sustain it over the you know over the full course. So we'll we'll see what happens in the next two games. I try not to worry too much about a youth, you know the the U17s. I think when you start to get to that more Olympic age like the you know, say your, your twenties and 23s. Now you're, you know, you're dealing with guys who are more physically matured, who are sh- who should be getting to that next step. And I think if there's one thing I will take away from this seven teams group, I don't know how many of these guys are going to be really good enough to, to crack into um, major European teams. I think there might be some kids who could, getting into the second, the kind of your second tier there, but I don't know how many of them are going to be good enough to hit the, the next level. I think the twenties are really the crop, uh, for us right now.
0: Last question. If you were king of us soccer for a day, American soccer f- for a day, you had absolute power to do anything with your one day in charge. What would you do? Oh boy!
1: Half the people that listen to you are going to want me to say that I'm going to strip the MLS of Division One and institute promotion and relegation because that's the magic button that's going to fix every you know every problem that American soccer has ever had and that's not the answer and that's definitely not what I would do. Um, I think if I had 24 hours in charge of U.S. soccer, I would probably. I don't know if that I don't think that's enough unless you have the, the executive order stroke of the president of the United States where, you know, they've you could just sign it and say, this is it. I'm doing it. And, you know, I, I don't know if there's a, a one day answer, you know, because I think it, it, it's just so complicated for me. You know, some would probably say fire Greg Berhalter. I, maybe, maybe fire Greg Berhalter bring in a coach that's not an establishment guy who isn't it maybe I guess that would be it I'd probably clean house and bring in non-establishment people but with 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 some and MLS so intertwined in USSF I, great question I don't have an answer for you because I don't think I just don't think we can fix this in one day I think this starts from age seven and goes all the way up to the national team, major league soccer guys, not going to Europe because that's uh, at least in my opinion, you want to push on. That's where you need to be. That's where you got to go. Uh, you know, some people say, well, you know, MLS versus, versus Belgium. Yeah. Go to Belgium. There's better players there. That's uh, it's not, it's not even a question for me. I think if I had one thing, that would probably be my mandate. One day, maybe it's either clean house or put out some type of, you know, mandate that's like, listen, you want to get good? This is where you need to go.
0: Well, I, look, I think when you look at uh, what you can do with your one day in charge, leadership uh, change is uh, something that could be like an executive order that continues beyond that day because uh, new personnel, new ideas, new leadership is actually what we need more than anything else. And out of that leadership, we can get corrected systems and structures uh, going forward. So I, I actually think you're on to something there with with your leadership answer the leadership. Well, let's go with leadership then how can uh, how can people connect with you and uh, learn more about your work and uh and, and follow you on social best, media uh,
1: best way to do that is to check me out on twitter at fid sports um fyd sports is uh, is where you can find me and then our show um, we've been a little admittedly lax with our, our account lately, but it's at Corner Kick USA. Um, you can, you can catch us there too. And then I always link, uh, everything we do, uh, on, on my own account. Now it's not, it's not just a soccer account. I also do other, other sports too, but it's, it's probably 90% soccer. So.
0: Well, thanks for coming on the show. We are we really appreciate it. Look forward to having you back on again soon to uh, to get into more of this, and uh, maybe next time we'll get into some uh, some youth development because that's a uh, that's a whole show unto itself. I think. Oh my
1: gosh, I, we 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 dedicated show after show to it ourselves, just talking about JJ, my co-host and I, about our own experiences growing up in uh, in New Jersey and 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 what we've done there. So yeah, I think that you know you. I think the topics are limitless, but you know, thank you again for having me on Daniel. And, uh, anytime you want me back, you just, uh, you just give me a holler and I'll be, uh,
0: I'll be there. Sounds good. Thanks for joining the show. We really appreciate it. Um, and, uh, we, we do look forward to having you back on. So, uh, thanks for coming right. on.
1: Hey, thank you so much. You take
0: care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. That is Alec Fidrashevsky, and I uh, really appreciate him coming on to spend some time with us. Our sponsor this half hour is Charity Water. You can learn more about Charity Water at charitywater.org. We'll be right back after this. No one, no man, no woman, no child should ever have to drink green water with bugs, with algae, with disease in it.
1: Water and a lack of toilets kills more people than all the wars in the world. We know how to bring clean drinking water right now to every single person on earth. And when you can bring water into communities, it truly transforms them, it changes everything. You could know that you'd made a difference. You could know that you had truly impacted the lives of a family, of a community, of a region, there was either clean water or there wasn't. We believe in a world where every single person has clean and safe water to drink, and we will continue fighting until that happens.
0: I'd like to thank Alex Fidrushevsky for joining us today. Um, you know, looking back to that Greg Burhalter letter, the, the big thing when I look at all of that is instead of talking about what you want to do or the change you want to see to the public, go do it, get it done, show tangible evidence and proof. I see this over and over in organizations, not just soccer clubs or soccer coaches, but I want to do this, or I want to be this, or we want to we want to be this as a company or as an organization. Um, rather than go out and, and set all of these expectations, go deliver. Do it first. Talk about it later. And uh, that means get the work done. Then brag about it afterwards. I would much rather see that with our U.S. Men's National Team than these continued struggles while we see bloviations about how things are going to get better and change. Right now, we don't see any proof of that. So uh, thanks for watching the show. You can watch always at facebook.com forward slash WRKMN or at danielworkman.com. You can also tw- check me out on Twitter or Instagram at Daniel Workman. Thanks for watching. We'll see you again tomorrow.